0: Well, when Peter wrote his first epistle to these people that were believers that were scattered abroad, uh, he wrote the first epistle, and he was wanting to deal with the, the pressures and the trials they would experience from the outside, the fact that these guys were going to suffer for their faith. And so there was a he, he kind of unpacks every kind of persecution you can think of, every kind of suffering you could think of, and basically encourages the believers that were reading that letter that, look, This is normal. It's not a strange thing that you're entered into fiery trials. It's normal Christianity that you can expect if you're going to follow Jesus to be kind of on the margins of society, that people are going to, they're not going to always like you. That's just part of their reality. And yet in that, he also exhorts them to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. And making it clear that the hope that we have as believers isn't based upon how people treat us. It's based upon what Jesus has done for us, and so he lays out all these realities in the first epistle about how do we deal with, you might say, attacks from without, pressure from without, persecution from without, and then in a couple of years later, when he writes the letter, uh, the second epistle, he's going to talk about how do we deal with pressures from within. Because there was a reality that that during this time of persecution, in spite of the persecution, there were a lot of people, maybe because of the persecution, there were a lot of teachers kind of creeping up and, and being developed. who actually had wrong ideas about God, who, who actually wanted to say that, hey, you can follow Jesus and still do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Or or maybe wanted to have an idea that, yeah, okay, you know, we want to worship God and Jesus taught a lot about God, but, you know, the fact that he bought us at a price, no, that's nonsense. And denying just really key truths about who Jesus is and how he saved us and living a lifestyle that would actually draw people away from Jesus. And so Peter's going to write about that. He's going to write about how do we deal with this? How do we deal with sort of what happens when there's bad teaching or bad ideas creeping into the church? How do we deal with that? And so as we pick it up in the first four verses, really he's just kind of introducing himself and introducing really the first thing that we need if we're going to deal with false teaching. How do we deal with the, the, the trials that come from within? How do we endure to the end? How do we make sure that we're not going to be sucked away? And this is the first thing. We need to know Jesus. We need to know Jesus. So let's check out this letter. Peter identifies himself. This is what you would always do in an epistle, because remember, they weren't written in a, in a piece of paper, but a scroll. So as you unroll the scroll, you can see this is from Simon Peter. And Peter identifies himself, notice, as a bond servant and as an apostle. Now this is great, because we see here that Peter he has an understanding that, that who he's following. He knows who it is that he serves. In fact, it's interesting that he calls himself a bondservant. This is a a word that doesn't just mean slave, but it means a servant by choice. And, And many of the people that would have read his letters would have had a Jewish background and knew exactly what he was referring to. He was referring to the law of a bondservant in Exodus chapter 21. In Exodus 21, we see that, that there's this law that said that uh, a Jewish man could not enslave or make a bondservant of another Jewish man for more than six years. So in other words, if a person was in debt and needed to pay off their debts, they could put themselves into indentured servitude for six years, but then they had to be released no matter what. That was the law. But there was also scenarios so that when that servant, if that servant was with his master, and his master treated him really well, it was a situation where his master treated him like a child or treated him like one of the family. If his master paid him well, provided for him well, if he had a family, blessed because he was with this master. And he came to a point that he loved his master. He could basically decide, no, I want to stay with him. And this is what we read in Exodus five. It says, But if a, if a servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall take him uh, to the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door or to the door post, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, like the hole punch, bam. And he shall serve him forever. So this is biblical reason for body piercing. It's okay to do that, in case you are wondering. <laughs> But they would get get an earring to, to show, I have chosen to be a servant of my master for life. I've chosen this. That's a bondservant. And this is what Peter's saying. Peter's basically saying, I love my master. He's been nothing but good to me. I would be a fool not to serve him wholeheartedly. I'm a bondservant of Jesus. He's the righteous one. He's the one worthy to be followed. But also he calls himself an apostle, which you probably know means this, a sent one, someone who's, who's been sent out. And he sees himself as someone who's been sent out by the Savior. And this is really important considering Peter's background. If you remember in John chapter 21, when, uh, after Peter had denied Jesus three times, right? the night that Jesus was crucified, he had denied him that night three times. No, I don't know Jesus. No, I don't know Jesus. And then after Jesus is crucified and after Jesus is resurrected, you can tell Peter still kind of has the shame. He, He probably feels completely disqualified to be a follower of God anymore. And so there he is. He decides, I'm going to go back fishing. And he goes back fishing. Some of the apostles go with him. to go back fishing. And they, they, as they're fishing, not catching anything, they look on the beach, and there's some guy making breakfast. Guess who it was? It was Jesus after he resurrected. And so basically, Peter sees it. He, he swims into him. He, they have breakfast together. And Jesus restores Peter. You guys remember the story in John 21, right? Where he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do you love me? F- feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? If you love me, then this is what I want you to do. Don't see yourself as disqualified. See me choosing you as your qualification. And so Peter, when he's writing this epistle, he knows exactly who he is. He is he's no one special. He's been sent by the one who saved him. And he, he's chosen to be a bondservant because his master is so good. He knows exactly who he is. And it's interesting, too, because the way he greets these people he writes to shows that he knows that he's nobody special. It's Jesus who's special because he says, notice, to those, he writes, to those who have obtained like precious faith. You might have a footnote in your margins or your version might say this. Have received faith of the same value. In other words, Peter's saying, Listen, I know I'm a, an apostle of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I know that I'm his bondservant. I've made myself that. I've chosen to follow after him. But you need to know I, I'm in right standing with, with him only through the same faith that you're the right, in the right standing with, with him in. In other words, the, the reality is God saved me the same way he saved you, he, he declared me righteous the same way he declares you righteous. You see, here's the thing we have to understand, okay? We're talking about knowing Jesus. We need to understand that it's His righteousness, it's the righteousness of Jesus that provides our sufficiency. It's because He's the righteous one that we can say, okay, I'm going to be here bond because you called the shots. You tell me what to do because you know what's up. You're the righteous one. I can trust you. It, it, we can say to Him, Lord, will you send us where you want us to go because you've saved us. And there's nothing that we can lose that doesn't already belong to you. You've already saved us. And he understood, listen, that he was right with God. He says it really clearly, right? <laughs> You've obtained light, precious faith by with us. How? By the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, this is one of the clearest, one of the clearest declarations of the deity of Christ in all of Scripture. It says, listen, notice, by the righteousness of our God and Savior. It's definitely referring to Jesus Christ as God. That's really important. Now, you might go, I don't know. I mean, okay, there might be a God out there, but can Jesus really be God? I mean, come on, how does that work? Well, without getting into all the theological reasons why that's the case or why we believe that, let me just say this. At least we know for a fact that Peter believed that. The one who walked closest with him One of his disciples believed. No, he's not just a great man. He's not just the Messiah. He's God the Son. And he recognizes, listen, that this righteousness that he has, this right relationship that he has with God, it's the very righteousness of God that he's received as a free gift through faith. It's so important for us to get this. I mean, this is one of the, this is one of the subtle areas that false teachers creep in. They, we, we have a hard time believing that God's grace could be that absolute. We have a hard time believing that, that, that God could actually look at us as we really are, and our selfishness and our greed and wanting to do what we want to do whenever we want to do it, and actually declare us innocent. How can he do that? They can do that because Christ paid the price. He absorbed our sin, listen, and gave us his righteousness. Theologians call it the great exchange. He took off our soil he took off our soiled garments and put on us his perfect spotless robe and declared us righteous. And this is everyone, guys. Anyone who's received Christ as Savior is in this standing anyone is i am no more right with god than you if you believed in jesus and i've believed in jesus the one who's been who, who's received christ 5 minutes ago is no less righteous than the one who received christ 50 years ago the one who who has great faith and is doing great things for god is no more righteous than the one that has minimal faith and just is just knowing that well at least i'm right with god through jesus we are all Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are given a free gift of righteousness when we put our faith in Jesus. This is what Peter's saying. He's, saying he's writing to these guys who have gone through a pretty tough time. He had to kind of tell them about how bad life is going to be following Jesus. But he's saying, listen, don't forget, you have this like, precious faith. You have the same faith of the same value as I have. I'm right with God the same way you're right with God. And then he does the kind of typical greeting that we see in Peter's epistles, in Paul's epistles. He says, grace and peace. Now, you can look through all the New Testament and you'll never see a greeting that says, peace and grace. That always says, grace and peace. And there's a reason for this. You probably know this, but I'll, I'll repeat it just in case, that the, the word grace, that was the way the Greeks would greet each other in their culture. They would say grace to you. It's the, a word, the Greek word is charis. Charis to you, it means beauty or attraction or the favor of the gods be upon you. Grace be upon you. But the word became loaded theologically as Christians started using it. They kind of recognize that when they talk about the favor of God, they don't mean the gods as in the Greek gods. They mean the creator God. And if he gives us favor, listen, then that favor is completely unmerited. We we can't earn it. It's just received freely. You following me? That's grace. Someone once called it God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. So when he says grace to you, he's not just saying, Hello. He's actually He's actually wanting to give them He's actually wanting to give them a reminder of hey this is what God has towards you grace But also listen you might know that peace was the way that Jewish people would greet each other. Now the word here for peace it's in the Greek, but if it would have been in Hebrew it would have been the word shalom. And and shalom doesn't just mean uh, there's no more hostility between two parties. It's bigger than that. Shalom means, it holds this idea of everything being exactly as it ought to be. Things being completely restored as they're supposed to be. That's shalom. Now here's the reality. The Bible says, listen, the Bible teaches that we we have peace with God. We have shalom with God. There's no war between us anymore when we receive the grace of God by faith that's what the Bible teaches that it's when we receive the grace of God when we've said okay I know that I'm a sinner I know that I can't approach this perfect God this good God with my badness then something else has to happen we realize that what that happened was God sent his own son to die for us so that our sins could be forgiven so that our sins could be washed clean as we said Jesus paid it all we sang that so that when we believe that, he can declare us righteous. He can say, you are now in right standing with me. He can render us innocent because Jesus was innocent. And so when he says grace and peace, these are, this is a theologically loaded greeting. He wants them to think about this free gift of righteousness. Now, now listen. Listen. This is what the Bible teaches. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Paul says this, Therefore, having been justified, literally rendered innocent by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have, notice, access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So in other words, the same faith that that we put in Jesus, we put our faith in Jesus. Okay, I can't save myself, but I put my faith that Jesus has done what's needed to save me. That same faith doesn't just give us a one-time access to God. It gives us a permanent access to God. It's a grace in which we stand. It's a grace by which we continue to approach God. We approach Him by faith. Lord, I'm coming to you by faith. I believe, Lord, you still accept me because of Jesus. Now, this is really important, because notice what he says in verse 2 in this greeting. He says, grace and peace, notice, be what? Multiplied to you. Bro, bro, bro. <laughs> and he's basically saying, listen, there's no end to this. Do you know what the Bible teaches in Romans chapter 5, verse 20? It says, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, I'm not saying that you can sin all you want and it doesn't make a difference. We're going to talk about that as we move through to Peter. But what I am saying to you, listen, is that you might think, okay, I'm, I'm too bad. I have too many bad thoughts. I do too many bad things. I don't do any of the good things I know I should do. If you're in that place and you're thinking, therefore, God isn't going to call me innocent. Therefore, God doesn't accept me. You have to ask yourself, have you put your faith in Jesus? Do you understand who He is and what He's done for you? Because what He's done for you is to pay for all your sins, past, present, and future, so that God can be just in declaring you innocent. Now, Peter says in verse 2, he says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you, notice, in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This word knowledge here is going to be, come up again in verse 3. It's going to come up again a couple different times in this epistle. It's a Greek word, epigenosis. You might have heard the word genosis or ginoskos. We might have said that to you or you might have heard me say that. And it's a word that means to, to know by experience. It's not just like I have a clear understanding or I see something as it's supposed to be. It's to know by experience. It's a relational word. It's kind of like when it says that, and Joseph did not know his wife. This doesn't mean he didn't see her ever or didn't know who she was. It means they had never had intimacy. They had never had sexual relations before Jesus was born. And so to gnosis means to know somebody as they are. It doesn't always obviously refer to sexual relations, but it has to do with just knowing someone as they are. Epigenosis means to know them so well that you would recognize them in a crowd. It's that kind of idea. I know exactly who that is. I epigenosis them, you might say. And here's what's happening, is that Peter is saying, he's saying, he's saying um, that what God's done, is, or what he's, what he's wanting to remind them of is, listen, grace and peace be multiplied to you as you know God better. See, here's something you have to understand. You cannot, once you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, once you've been born of the Spirit... God's made you alive because you've put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Once that happens, you can't become more of a child of God. You can't become more righteous in the sense of positionally. I have five children, as you know, and you know when my kids were, when my kids were conceived, they were my kids. Boom. It's a done deal. They're born, there's a birth certificate. Legally, they're my kids. Guess what? They're now older. They're still my kids. No less, no more. They're still my kids. They're in a position in my family that cannot be broken. Now, we can have degrees of closeness. We can have degrees of fellowship. We can, they, they can obey me, and I, that makes Dad happy, or I can treat them well, and that makes them happy, or whatever the case might be. But the truth is, the position is fixed. So here's the thing. When he says grace and peace be multiply you in the knowledge of God, he's saying because you're in this fixed position, because you can say, look, I want to know God as he is. I want to recognize him more and more. From that fixed position, keep drawing closer to him. It's his righteousness that provides our sufficiency. It's his righteousness, Christ's righteousness, that allows us to have continual access to God so that we can get closer to him. Anybody here really blow it this week? I mean, you messed up pretty bad. Like, you know oh man, that was bad. Anybody? Only two people? What a bunch of liars. Come on. <laughs> You've just blown it now. You've all lied. Of course we have. We do it, don't we? we? On a daily basis, if we're honest, we know we should love somebody in a certain way, and we don't. Or we know that we shouldn't do a certain thing, but we do it. We all do that. We all fall short of God's glory. We all sin. Every single one of us does it. We know we should love somebody, we don't do it. This is who we are. This is our brokenness. This is the human condition. The good news, in the gospel, is that God sent his only begotten Son to die a death that would pay the payment that I should pay so that I could be forgiven so that I could become part of His family and I could know Him forever. You know what makes me in that position? His righteousness. What can make me white as snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's Him. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe, as we say. This is the righteousness that we have. Peter's wanting to say, listen, before we get into all the big stuff, just don't forget this biggest stuff. Don't forget his righteousness is what provides your sufficiency. This is what Paul's whole life was about. Paul's whole life about wasn't just kind of sharing this message. Paul wanted to know this Jesus. He shared the message because he wanted to know Jesus. He wanted to know him more. He, that's what he says. Listen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul says, that I may know him. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Later on in the same chapter, Paul would say, just one thing I do, I press on to know Him. I just want to be closer to Jesus. Listen, I'm speaking to you now who are Christians, you who are believers, okay? You don't need anything more than Jesus. Jesus. And because you don't need anything more than Jesus, you know what that means? That means you can have more of Jesus. You can know him more. He is, by his Holy Spirit, going to make you like him. We'll talk about that in a minute. So he greets them this way. Grace and peace be multiplied uh, to you in the knowledge of God uh, and of Jesus our Lord. Then he says in verse 3, notice as His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So, His righteousness provides our sufficiency, but listen, also, it's His power that provides our ability. His righteousness provides our sufficiency, His power provides our ability. This is important because there are commands In the New Testament, God commands us to do things. He doesn't say, if you feel like it, if you can get around to obedience, that would be nice. No, he says, you need to do this. But everything he commands us to do, listen, he gives us the power to do. So here's what he says. He says, his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. One word in the Greek, all. And the Greek word here for all means all. (laughs) All things. Everything that we need. Everything that we need. In other words, His power, listen, what He's qualified us for, what He's accomplished in our behalf, the fact that we can be filled with His Holy Spirit. That is completely sufficient for godly living. You don't need like a five step seminar. You just need to walk with him. Hey, teaching's helpful, obviously that's what we do it every Sunday. But what you need is what he's provided. He says, listen, all things that pertain to life and godliness. And this is important because what happens is sometimes we can begin to think, you know, if I only had this, then I'd actually walk with God. What don't you have? All things are yours in Christ. He says His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life, godliness. Everything we need comes, is, is already provided as His power delivers it to us. And here's how it comes through. Through the knowledge, the epigenosis of Him who called us by knowledge, by glory and virtue. In other words, listen, not only are we completely, we've, His power is completely sufficient for godly living, but also His power is accessed, listen, through continuing relationship. That's how we access the power of God. This is what Jesus was talking about in John 15 when he says, "If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will and it shall be done to you, done unto you." He says, "And you will bear much fruit and my father will be glorified and your joy will be full." What produces all that? Abiding relationship. What qualifies for us for relationship? what he did for us on the cross. Nothing more, nothing less. His death and resurrection. See, this is why why certain disciplines that we might encourage you to to are really important. If you understand what they're for. So so like if we encourage you and we say to you, you know what, really encourage you, get some time alone with God every day. Just go away somewhere, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, hour, whatever you can get away for, get alone with God. Have your Bible open. Say, all right, God, this is your word. I need to hear from you. Uh, I want to speak to you. Pray, worship, sing songs to God. Listen to his word as, he, as you read it. Uh, read it out loud. You can, you'll get more out of it. You know, Just take time to be with God and receive from him. You know why? Because from that relationship is where you get the power to live the way he wants you to live. And I know it's hard. For some of you guys, it's really hard. Your work schedules are manic. I mean, you make me look lazy. And I work six days a week. And some of you guys, you have little kids. And and I remember those days. I remember coming home and Sarah kind of going, deal with the kids, you know. And say, okay, baby, here's the Bible. Go lock the door. You know, go away for a bit. Get some time with God. This is what we have access to. We have access to our Heavenly Father. We can can talk with Him. We can pour out our heart before Him. We can ask Him for whatever we need. We can can hear from Him. He speaks to us as we read His words. We can have a relationship with Him. That's why Christ died, so we can have a relationship with Him. And it's, it's through that relationship that we access that power to live the life God wants us to. See, we think when we're having that relationship, okay, I'm doing, it, I got to do this, I got to do this other thing, I gotta do this other thing, and we look at it as just this duty, and it's this grand privilege where God's saying, "Listen, I want to give you all that you need. Just come be with me. That's why I've made you right." Can you imagine if, after months of me pursuing my wife Sarah, convincing her that she should marry a man who will be bald one day? And then gathering all the funds it would take to have the wedding and figuring out how I'm going to pay and support her and getting all that stuff set up. Imagine if I set all that stuff up and said, you know, this is great. And we have the ceremony and the the pastor says, you may kiss the bride. And I go, "Mm, that's okay. No, thanks. And I said, this is great. See you later. And I walked away. She never saw me again until we died. How stupid would that be? Has that ever happened? No, because anyone knows the reason you want to get married is so that you can be together. You can't wait for the first kiss. You can't wait till you can sleep in the same bed. You want to be together. That's what you desire. That's why you want to get married. That's why you pursue that person to have relationship, not just to have a piece of paper that says, "Oh, look, I'm legally married." It's relationship. Why has God pursued us? Relationship. It's so basic, and yet we neglect relationship with God all the time. We relate to God. We act like as if our relationship with God is based on what we do. All right, I want God to be happy. I want God to do for me what I want out of my life, and so I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And God goes... Don't you get it? My righteousness, I mean, Jesus' righteousness already provides your sufficiency. You don't need to do anything else. Don't you get it? Yes, yes, but I I need to give more effort so I can do all. No, 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 no. It's my power that's going to provide your ability. Don't you get it? Just come abide with me. I'm your father. Come cry out to me by the Spirit Abba, Father, Daddy. Relate to me. Now, it's interesting because when Peter says this, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him, through this relationship, he he says, who, speaking of Jesus, who called us by glory and virtue. Some versions... Uh, make it sound like he called us to glory and virtue. Now, that that wouldn't be wrong, but I don't think that's what it's saying here. I think it's right when the New King James says he's he's called us by glory and virtue. In other words, listen, this power to live this life that God has for us, to have this relationship with him, is what we see demonstrated in the life of Jesus. So that when, when it says he called them, Jesus called each of us by glory and virtue. I mean, this isn't this a reality? When it's when we see Jesus as he is that we know it's him we have to trust. A couple of Fridays ago at the big group, um, a young Japanese man named Masa came and he gave his testimony. And he was talking about how when his life was at a really low point, someone told him the gospel, someone told him about Jesus. Actually, backpedal, right before the, uh, that low point, before he heard about Jesus, when things were really bad, his mom was thinking about committing suicide, and, or he was wanting him and his mom to commit suicide. And basically, she says, no, we're not going to do this because God's going to help us. And she didn't even know God yet. She just knew there's got to be a God, and he's going to help us. And he thought, well, okay, all right. Well, maybe there's a God, and he'll help us. And then someone told him about Jesus, and he thought, okay, if Jesus is like that, that has to be who God is. God has to be like that. And he eventually became a Christian. This is what we're talking about, glory and virtue. When we talk about the glory of God, listen, the glory of something is its unique value. So we would say the glory of a lion is its strength. It's something of a unique, its unique value. And so when we talk about the glory of Christ, we talk about his unique value. We talk about virtue. It's about moral excellence. And moral excellence isn't about just not doing bad things. It means you always do what's right for somebody else. Always. It was this work, this sort of glory and virtue that that Jesus demonstrated that made people go, i got to know that guy. In fact, look what the Bible says in Mark's gospel. After Jesus had healed a man who who was deaf and mute, it says, And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, Jesus has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. He's done all things well. Now, why am I bringing this out? Because listen, here's what Peter wants us to know. Here's what Peter wants the people who would read this letter to know. He wants them to know, listen, it's Jesus' power that's going to provide your ability. If, remember how attractive his life was? Where you thought, man, that's moral excellence. That is unique glory. It's him. I want to be like him. Guess how he did that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Guess what he's qualified you to be a vessel of? The Holy Spirit. It's his divine power. Does that mean that we're always going to do all things well? No. We're going to fall short. But it means this. Listen, it means the way forward is not more effort, work harder. It's abide. It's abide. It's epigenosis. It's, yep, I know who God is. I want to hang out with him. (laughs) I want to be with him. I want to worship him. Because His divine power gives me all things for life and godliness as I know Him. And I want to know His glory and virtue even more. Now we're almost done. So we've talked about how His righteousness provides our sufficiency, how His power provides our ability. And here's the third thing. His promises provide our reality. His promises provide our reality. Look at verse 4. By which, he says, this this divine power by which uh, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Not just promises, but exceedingly great and precious promises. Do you know how you measure the value of a promise? You measure it by the person who made it. You know, when you sign a check, you're making a promise. I promise to give this person this amount of money. That's what a check is. It's a promise. Now, if I say to you, you know what? I I really like you. I think you're a great person. I'm going to write you a check. Here's my signature. And you look at that check, and you see it's for a million pounds. What are you going to do? You're going to laugh. No, you're going to laugh. Because you know, John, you're a nice guy, but uh, I, I can't trust this promise. I know you don't have a million pounds. No, no, the, the value of the promise is based on the ability of the one who makes the promise. On the character of the one who makes the promise. This is what makes his promises to us exceedingly great and precious. Because he is great and precious. Because he can do all things. Now, he says, by these precious promises, verse 4, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Now, let me be clear about this. Peter's not saying that we become a part of God. That's not what he's teaching. The Bible teaches very clearly that God is transcendent. That means he's completely separate from his creation. Okay? Doesn't mean he's far away, it means he's separate. There's a difference, transcends his creation. So the Bible doesn't teach that somehow we become Christians, we get absorbed into God. That's new age rubbish. That's not Bible. Okay? But what it does mean by saying we're partakers of the divine nature is that something happens to us when we put our faith in Jesus. Jesus called it being born again. We're regenerated. And because we're regenerated, because we're given new life... What happens is, we begin to we be, begin to be changed to become like Jesus. We be, we begin to be partakers in the divine nature in the sense that we become like Him. We become more God-like. Again, not like I'm Superman and I'm going to fly and I have supernatural powers. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in His character, in His moral excellence, that He teaches us to love the Father the way He loves the Father. He teaches us to love each other the way He loved other people. That's what He does. That's how we partake. That's the partaking of the divine nature. Now, that sounds nice, but sometimes, let's be honest, it doesn't feel true, does it? of the divine nature. That's a nice idea, but uh, I'm still pretty much a jerk. And more than that, the people that go to that church, they're pretty much jerks as well. So I don't know if anybody's been, actually been partaking of the divine nature. Sometimes what we do, even as believers, is we base our faith on our experience. Reality for us is what we can feel, taste, touch, observe. That's reality. But that's not at all what we're called to. God isn't calls to a blind faith. But God does call us to a faith that isn't based on what we can see. It's based on what he said. It's based on what he's revealed about himself. Again, it's not just based on what it says in a book. It's based on the one who is the subject of the book, Jesus. An historical figure who claimed to be God and proved it through his death and resurrection. Now, here's the reality. God's calling us to say, all right, Lord, here's how I feel, but here's what you say, and what you say is reality. What you say is reality. This is what faith is. This is how faith grows. If your faith is based on what you're feeling today, you're going to be all over the place the faith that god's calling us to is a faith that will take him at his word that will trust the character of him who revealed himself through jesus okay if as that, that guy massa said okay if there's a god he has to be like jesus so i got to do what he says i got to trust him even if i don't feel like it why? Why would we trust Him? Because He's great and He's precious and therefore His promises are great and precious. Let me, let me give you some encouragement. Here's one of the ways you know that you've partaken of the divine nature. Here's, one of the ways, here's some of the ways you know you've been born again. We're going to list them all next week. Peter's going to talk about some of the ways we know this is the, the reality. But here's some of the ways you know. You know you should love God above all things but you don't and you feel bad about that people who haven't been born again don't care about God they don't want to love God if you want to love God if you think you know I really need to love God I should love God with all my heart with all my soul, soul you know whole heart, soul mind and strength I should love God that way if you have a sense that you should do that and are also aware that you don't that's a good indication that God's going to work in your heart If you get excited, if you get blessed, if you find great release every time you hear the gospel explained again, yes, I'm righteous by faith. Hallelujah. That's a good indication. You've been born again. You've partaken of the divine nature. But if I'm saying these things to you and you're like, interesting ideas, but I don't care you probably need to know you probably haven't been born again even if you can repeat the gospel back to me even if you can say yeah okay I understand to be a Christian means I believe Jesus died from, his from the dead yeah I get that but there's no change in your heart there's no I want to love God because of that there's no man I'm so thankful I'm saved by grace so through faith alone in Christ alone if that's not there you probably haven't taken on the divine nature and I don't say that to push you away I say that to draw you in I say it to say today can be the day. You can receive like precious faith, you can receive faith of the same value. If you're willing. See here, here's here's the promise of God. Listen to this. Romans chapter eight, verse twenty nine. Here's the promise of God for He for whom He foreknew he being God, also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, listen, here's the promise of God. I will accept you because of Jesus, and then I will make you like Jesus so that you can enjoy Jesus forever. Promise. Yeah, but I don't feel that much like Jesus, or I don't feel his love the way I did maybe two weeks ago, or... Four years ago, whatever the case might be, forget about your feelings. What do you know is fact? Value his promise because the one who made that promise is faithful. Because the one who made that promise died and rose again just as he promised. And then he ends the section by saying this you have been partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, he's referring there, I think, to the fall, to the fact that Adam and Eve sinned, and because Adam sinned, uh, all of us as his descendants, basically, uh, have followed suit. We've sinned. That's why there's a footnote that might say, escape the depravity. But notice what it says. Having escaped. We've, we've, we've broke free from that. Jesus, listen has broke us free from that. Do you know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches, listen, that because of Jesus, we are free from the penalty of sin. God should judge us for not loving him and for not loving people. God should judge us for our rebellion and and always pushing him away. But God chose instead to judge his own son, put that judgment on his son. Guess what? That means the judgment's not on us anymore. We're not appointed to wrath if we put our faith in Jesus. That's awesome free from the penalty of sin. But also, listen, free from the power of sin so that Jesus could say to people, go and sin no more and mean it. You don't have to be a slave to sin. Listen, I'm not at all saying I'm sinless, but praise God, I'm not nearly the slave to sin that I was 27 years ago when I first got saved. God's taught me so much more about what it means to love and to be loved. He's taught me so much more about what it means to walk with him. And I can say, wow, Lord, you you are really, you've changed me. I don't have to be a slave to this junk anymore. This is part of the precious promises given to you. If Jesus has set you free, Jesus said, if the son set you free, you shall be free indeed. Which means, guess what? You can say that the reality is not what I feel, but what he says, I'm free. I don't have to be a slave to my sin. But also, listen, one day, soon and very soon, and Peter will highlight this at the end of this little letter, we'll be free from the presence of sin. Can you imagine a world with no corruption? Can you imagine a world where there's no abuse, where there's no theft, where there's no greed, where there's no sickness, where there's no death? Can you imagine a world where people love each other unconditionally? Can you imagine a world where there's nothing about us that's any longer unlovable? Can you imagine a world where you know God In a similar way that he knows you. That's a world free from the presence of sin. That's what Jesus came to bring. That's what Jesus is going to bring when he comes back. It's the world we all want. This is why we raise money uh, to fight injustice. This is why we get frustrated when who we think is going to bring justice into into our political system doesn't get voted in. It's okay that we get frustrated because we think, you know what, man, we want justice. Why do we want justice? Because we know that's the world's supposed to be. Guess what? It's going to be that way. That's the promise of God. That's the reality that we expect. It's good news, man. It's great news. I'll close with this verse. John says, Beloved, now we are children of God and has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, that is when Jesus comes back, we shall be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. Peter is writing to people who are experiencing influential people who want to pull pull them away from these truths. They want to pull them away from that simple, focused desire to know Jesus, to have a relationship with a living God. And he's saying, man, don't do it. Look at what He's done for you. Know that grace and peace are multiplied to you. Know that He's given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Know that you've escaped this world. Believe His promises. I'm going to ask the music team to come back up. And as the music team comes back up, we're going to close in a song. But as the music team comes back up, I want to ask you a very serious question. And and I'm addressing this question to those of you who either know you you are not born again or wonder if you actually are born again. In other words, those of you who know you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus or think you understand about Jesus, but you don't know if he's actually saved you, being a particular divine nature. So it's you I want to address first. And I want, to address, I want to address you this way because I'm so thankful someone addressed me this way back when I was 18 years old. And that is, is that I want to just ask you a really simple question. I, okay, two simple questions. <laughs> One, do you want that world? Seriously. Forget about if you think it can happen or not. Do you want that world? That world where justice is complete, righteousness reigns, people live in love with one another. People know God as He actually is and enjoy Him forever. Do you want that life? The second question I would ask you, if you ask, especially if you answer the first one, yes. The second question I would ask you is this What is keeping you from putting your trust in Jesus? And I mean that seriously. Is it this idea that, man, I don't want to give up some of the things that I like doing that probably you Christians would say were sin? Is it that? Honestly, ask yourself, is it worth not having that world to have whatever little pleasure you're going to get from that sin? Is it, well, I have all kinds of questions. How do we know we can trust the Bible? How do we know this? How do we know that? Awesome. Awesome ask our whole Sunday night service is there so that we can have a short teaching and then you can ask whatever questions you want so that we can help you know there are answers for these questions is it well I just don't know what to do next because if it's that the Bible says listen if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus to confess means to say the same thing as So if we say the same thing about the Lord Jesus that God says about him, so if we confess the Lord Jesus with our mouth and believe in our hearts, we shall be saved. If we confess, yes, Jesus is God the Son, and his death paid for my sin, and he did rise from the dead, if we believe that, God says he'll save us. The Bible says, call the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Which means you can right now in your seat say, alright oh God, I believe that. I'm taking out your word. That ball-headed guy said, this is true. I'm going I'm to believe what the word says. Save me. I want a relationship with you. And God will do it. Now before we close with this last song, I want to address the rest of you guys that are believers. Have you, have you, let slip your relationship with God. Have you forgotten that you've been forgiven of all your sins? Have you forgotten that you've been given this place of righteousness in Christ? This, that he's rendered you innocent. Have you stopped seeking him? Because you have, if you have, man, turn back to him today. You know, while we're singing this song, repent. Turn back to God. That's what it means. And just say, God, forgive me. You've done everything for me. I want to be right with you. I want to just walk with you. I believe that Jesus has given me complete access, and I want to take advantage of that, and I want to talk with you. Do that today. You don't have to say, okay, yeah, starting Monday morning, I'm going to start having a quiet time. No, right now, God, thank you that I have access to you, Father, through Jesus. Thank you. Just praise Him for it. Seek Him for it.